Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Well, good morning. You guys are the dedicated. I was kind of thinking about it. Could I call in? Like, who would I call? Like, who, you know, I was thinking about it. Like, it was there. I was thinking about it, but... Man, 2023, like I graduated high school 20 years ago. And I know some of you were like, that's nothing. <laughs> that's called step one. And some of you were like, wow, he's older than what I thought. So I am so excited. Don't have any kind of like a special new year, new you, new da da da. We're just going to jump into a new study. This is kind of our style. We finished up uh, Colossians. We went through Philemon. We're going to go through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We uh, most likely will go into Jude. And then I'm getting a lot of people there saying, are you ever going to go to the Old Testament? No. No, I don't know. <laughs> so I ha- I've been praying about that, but I do know that we're going we're gonna to go through the epistles from John, and then we're going to jump into Jude. But I'm kicking around some Old Testament, so if you want to be persuasive, you know, I take bribes. No, I don't. I'm teasing. Um, but just be praying for me. That is something I, I really do spend a lot of time and just ask the Lord, Lord, where do you, like, all Scripture is profitable. But not all Scripture is equally profitable for the season that we're in. And so, Lord, this season that we're in, in 2023, and what you are doing and what you are going to do through us as a church, where do you want us to be in your word? And so I really do take that to heart. So please be praying for me. If I could ask, could your pastor ask for prayer for you from you to be praying for me in that? But this morning we are going to be in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, open up. 1 John, it's very towards the end of the book. If you get to Revelation, you've gone just a little too far. But 1 John most likely was written, this is John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the beloved disciple that uh, Jesus loved, unlike the other 11 and one that was trying to kill him. And so this is, which is really unique about it, because when you think of Jesus handing off his authority and his leadership, he didn't hand it to his best friend, the disciple whom he loved. He handed off leadership to Peter. You know, because in our world, in our society, a lot of times, oh, well, just hand it off to my best friend. And instead, he absolutely, John was his best friend, but Peter had the ministry giftings and the skills and the anointing to continue to lead. Not that, you know, not getting into the whole Pope part of it, but I always think that was unique, that that was his, you know, you see this closeness that you have between Jesus and John. And even the humility of John to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not the guy to lead. And so when you open up the book of Acts and the first one to stand up and to preach wouldn't have been the best friend. It was Peter. You know, like I just think those things are kind of unique. So this is, this is John. Uh, a couple of cool things that I think are neat about John is uh, he was the one of the original 12 that lived the longest. Um, history tells us that at one point he was thrown into a pot of boiling oil to be martyred and killed, and he survived that. And it was in one of those Colosseum-style moments where all these people were coming to watch Christians be killed, and that was, you know, instead of the Super Bowl, that's what they did. They killed Christians for show and entertainment. And he survived that, and like half of the place became believers because of the miracle that they saw in John. So to get rid of him, they sent him to the island of Patmos. 
And if you remember at the end of the Gospel of John, he details the story about, remember when Jesus uh, rises from the dead and he has breakfast with the disciples on the shoreline and he's telling Peter the type of death that he's going to have and Peter looks at John he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says those words like, well, you know, what if he stays alive until I return? What is that to you? And so the early church had this kind of belief that Jesus would return before the apostle John would die. And so like, you know, he gets COVID, everybody gets really worried, like Jesus is coming back, like he's getting a cough, like he's got a rash, maybe Jesus is coming back. And so obviously that's not true, but that because of that one verse, they kind of took that a little far. And so, uh, yeah, that's John. He's, he's, I'm excited to jump into this. And so, and he always starts his books, his letters a little bit different. So if you follow with me here, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So that, why are we doing all that? Why, why is he going to talk about what he has heard and seen and looked upon? So that you too may have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus. And we proclaim it to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John always loved, for me, and I think uh, there's that TV series that's coming out, The Chosen. I think they did a really good job of kind of portraying the heart of John that loves Genesis. You know, if you read his Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he always went, not to the beginning of Jesus' life, but the beginning of everything. You know, you could just hear Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. And how did God create? Through the Word that God spoke. And so John never wants to start, like if you even look at the other Gospels, they always kind of start with the birth of Jesus, but John takes it all the way back to the very beginning. He does that same thing here in his epistle. So that which was from the beginning, meaning that Jesus wasn't just in the beginning. Jesus is the beginning. That, uh, and some people want to try to take this verse and twist it to show that, oh, yeah, J Jesus had a beginning. No, Jesus is co-eternal, co-existent, fully God with God the Father the Holy Spirit, God the Son there, and we're going to talk about the, the Trinity that we see even mentioned here. But Jesus wasn't just from the beginning, he is the beginning. 
And you remember in John 8, 58, that he even told the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, before Abraham, I am. And that I am statement is that Yahweh, that very specific name of God. Even when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, they said, hey, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And at the power of that name, because there's power in the name of Jesus, they all fell down. Like, could you imagine being in the garden and you're like, hey, are you Jesus? We're here to arrest you. Be like, yes, I am. And the power of him to saying his name knocks you down. I probably wouldn't be real quick to get up and be like, okay, you're under arrest. Like, if this your spoken name knocks me over, like, I'm not going to try to handcuff you. Like, not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. But this is Jesus. And so John always wants us to have a proper understanding of who Jesus is that he is God. And he is distinct from the Father. He's distinct from the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a fullness of our understanding of who God is. And he uses a couple descriptive uh, titles of who Jesus is. And he says, concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. He is the living word of God. And so we have this written word of God. And Jesus is the living word of God that talks about who Jesus is. This gives us that special revelation. And so what John wants us to know is that all life comes from is it's sustained by God's self-existent life. That everything that we see in creation, everything that we have even in the word, all of this flows out of who God is. Colossians 1.17, for all things were created by him and for him. The, the world, the universe, everything that we see, you, me, we were created out of God's heart and his mind. That it wasn't like he uh, inherited us and be like, oh, okay, here's earth with some people on it. I guess I'll love them. No, this whole thing was his plan from the very beginning. And it flowed out from him. You know, because we got to think, you know, okay, so in the beginning, God created. Well, what was there in the beginning? Nothing. The, the very theological in Latin, ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing God created. That there wasn't something there and he just, okay, I'll slap some life to it. That there was out of nothing. That there was just God. And that's kind of hard to think about. We always have that question. Well, like, then who created God? Well, that's a wrong argument because God never had a beginning. And so he never needed a creator. Like, the, the, the argument doesn't satisfy to that because God is completely different than, than anything else. The world had a beginning, therefore it had a creator. We had a beginning, therefore we had creators. We call them parents. I'll let you ask them how you were created, right? Like we had that beginning. God did not have that. But from the beginning, he's talking about when time began, when, when Jesus, who is that active agent in creation, started creating everything, this pre-incarnate Christ, so he doesn't want us to think that Jesus just showed up 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger, but Jesus has always been from eternity past with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he created all of this because just, you know, in the beginning was the Word. That was Jesus. And how did God create? By the Word. And he is this Word of life. And so this life was made manifest. So uh, Colossians always also tells us that he's the image of the invisible God. 
So if we want to see who God is, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Because a lot of times we kind of think this idea of like God the Father, and we read the Old Testament and think, oh, he's a, you know, this lawgiver, this like smiter, almighty oh, smiter, and all that, you know, that's the movie quote right there for you, if you know the movie. And so we think of these like kind of harsh, negative, like stern, father-like of God the Father, and then there's Jesus who is compassion and love, and, and, and there's not a dichotomy there. They're not separate. They are of the same essence. And so when we look to Jesus and we see his heart for the poor and the oppressed and the sinner and the broken, that's the heart of the Father, that he is just the invisible God made visible, made manifest. Other ways that you could say made clear, made known, made visible, graspable. And so if we want to grab on to who God is, all we have to do is grab the feet of Jesus. That's who God is. And so God manifested himself. And I mean, just think of the grace of that. We have this, this absolute, holy, eternal being, and he's going to manifest himself to us. And not just like this spaghetti monster type God in the sky. No, he's going to come. And just what we just celebrated at Christmas, he's going to take on flesh like you and me. And so John understood that. When he saw Jesus, he knew he was looking at God. And we need to have that same kind of uh, view towards Jesus. And it sounds silly. Well, of course, Nick, we're in the church. We're supposed to look at Jesus. He is God. That's one of the biggest ways that our faith is under attack, that Jesus really isn't God. Maybe he might be a lesser God. Maybe he's a spirit brother with the devil. That's what one uh, branch of I even hate to say Christianity, believes. And, and so the, the identity, the being, the essence, the nature of who Christ is, is absolutely under attack. And John wants us to know for sure, like, understand what we have heard, what we have seen, what we've looked upon, like, we've touched, we've talked with, like, I had fish and bread with them by the lake, and it was God who I was meeting with, like understand, like if you're going to drive any point home, John is like, I want you to know that Jesus is God, that word of life. And then he continues on and he calls him the eternal life. That's why if we are in Christ, that's eternal life. John 17, three, even Jesus says that, that if we're, our eternal life doesn't start when we die, our eternal life starts when we're dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. When we give our life to Jesus, when we surrender and submit to him, that's our eternal life. So he's not just the word of life, but he's this eternal life. And, and here you have a good uh, idea of the Trinity. He says, which was with the Father. And so you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all distinct persons. We sing the hymn, God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. And some people try to attack us, especially our Muslim friends. You know, they're like, they, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus is God. And they'll say things like, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. True. But the idea is, even though the word is not there, we clearly see a distinct Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons that make up the Godhead. 
And so this word of life, this eternal life was with the Father. So he's with the Father, meaning he has to be distinct from him, but also of the same essence. So God the Son is distinct from God the Father. Even in creation and salvation, we see all three persons of the Trinity active in that. You know, you go back to Genesis, and God spoke. So there we have God the Father, and the Spirit of God was hovering over, and then we pick that back up in Colossians. That It's talking about Jesus who created all things by him and for him. Ephesians 1, as we talk about our salvation, you can read through Ephesians 1, and it starts with God the Father and, and kind of his uh, ministry, per se, his actions within our salvation. Then you have God the Son, Jesus, and then you have the Holy Spirit talking about this sealing that we have from him. And so we have this very clearly, even though the word is not there. I mean, the word Bible is not in the Bible, but does that mean that the Bible's not real? Just because the word isn't there doesn't mean that God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is not revealed to us, is not made manifest. And so John, he says this a few times just in these first few verses, this whole idea of what we heard, what we seen, what we touched, what we looked upon, and he repeats this three or four times. He goes, I'm proclaiming, because he wants us to know that this isn't some mythological idea, this is something that he came up with. He didn't have some crazy vision in a cave. That was Muhammad. You know, in the full, logical, reasonable, like, saneness of his life, I'm just telling you what I saw and what I heard. Like, this is just eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. You know, when I'm talking to some skeptics, atheists, you know, and they're like, what do you have to prove that Jesus is who he says that he is? And I was like, would you be impressed if there was eyewitness testimony that was written down that proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done? Like, would you be interested in reading that? And the eyewitness testimony, more than any other ancient manuscript, is so near the time of the actual events that it was written that it, like, it blows any other ancient document out of the water. Like, the closest we have outside of this document that I'm talking about, any other ancient manuscript is within 500 to 1,000 years from the actual events to the time of writing. But these New Testament documents that we have are within a generation, 40 to 50 years that we start having these eyewitness testimonies about who Jesus is. And he's like, so I want you to understand, like we have an evidential faith. This isn't like a, a blind leap of faith. Our faith is rooted in real verifiable facts of life. Like, and that's where like even talking about creation to Jesus and his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Like these are historical, reliable facts that like faith and science work together. That we can look, so go with creation. We can look in the telescope, we can look in the microscope, and we see evidence of a creator. Not from a theological perspective, but from a scientific perspective perspective. And the same thing about the life of Jesus. Like if we were going to study the reliability of anybody else's life in the past, 
What would we need to say, yeah, these things were true? We have that in Jesus. And so he wants us not only to know that Jesus is God, but we have a very evidential faith, not a blind faith. Like this is things that we have seen, even Paul in some of his writings, he would say, if it's not so, there's still people that are alive that you can go and ask them. That as they were writing some of these letters of the New Testament, some of these gospels are starting to get out. There's people that were alive. They're like, I was there. I was one of the 5,000 that were fed the fish and the bread. I was there when Jesus was baptized. I was there when I saw, you know, Lazarus rise from the dead. Like they could verify these things. And they, and it's so rooted in history that like if you were making this up, you wouldn't add so many of these details. I mean, even between, I think it's Luke and Acts, there's like 150 aspects that are verifiable historically. It's like, why would Luke add those if it wasn't true? Like, why would he make it harder on himself if anything, you just say he could keep it vague and not add some of those. But I think it's like Luke 3, he mentions like 15 people just to narrow down even just the timeline of when Jesus lived in his ministry. So he wants us to know Jesus is God and we have this evidential faith in him. And he tells us the purpose of his book, the verses 3 and 4. These are key, so I would underline these big. He says, we're proclaiming this so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Like, understand the purpose that John is writing. He wants us to have fellowship with God. And if we have fellowship with God, we can have fellowship with God's people. It's like, well, how do you, as a bunch of Christians that are broken and you're sinners, and how, how do you guys get along? <laughs> Just like any other family, dysfunctional but we have Christ. We have fellowship with him, which motivates us in our fellowship with one another. And so if we can abide in Christ, which the whole sermon series of 1 John is about, abiding in Christ, we have that fellowship with God, we can have fellowship with one another. And John is writing so that he's, it's like an invitation. I want you to have fellowship with God. I want you to have fellowship with us. This is like very soft invitation that I love, that I think the church continues, needs to continue to offer to the world. Not, you know, believe right or go to hell. No, we want you to have fellowship with Jesus. We want you to have fellowship with us. We want you to walk in to a church like this and find your home. We want you to find people that you know that care about you. They're gonna walk with you no matter what in life. They're going to speak truth into your life. They're going to speak grace into your life. They're going to speak love into your life. We want you to have fellowship. And we have that fellowship. And look what he says, that our joy may be complete. See, joy is just grace recognized. When we see the grace of God in our life and we recognize that, it, it creates in us what? Best word we can come up with is joy. When we really focus on the grace that we have from Jesus. And so even John writes in his gospel, John 17, 13, Jesus says, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that you may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Like understand the heart of Jesus is that he wanted us to have joy in this life, in fellowship with him. And so not only does John want us to know that Jesus is God, wants us to have fellowship with him, but understand the heart of Jesus because a lot of people are twisting who Jesus is in our world. 
and they make him out to be who he's not. And a lot of people reject, like, I wouldn't go to church like Jesus is, or God is this, this, and this. And I'll say, like, oh, yeah, I, I reject that same God. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, that's not who God is. Like, even the heart of Jesus, he's telling us, he's like, I want you to have my joy. Like, is life going to be hard? Absolutely, but I want you to have my joy in it. And so they're proclaiming this to us, and this is the message. And again, this is what we've heard. Well, who do they hear it from? <laughs> heard it from the guy's lips himself. This is what we heard Jesus say over and over and over again. Jesus most likely had his favorite few sermons, and as they went into different cities and towns and out in the wilderness, he probably preached these over and over and over again. That's why you would have even a difference between like a Mark, Matthew, and Luke when you're talking about the Sermon on the Mount and, and other uh, parables. Or it's like, it's a little bit different in that gospel. I wonder why. They're probably talking about it from different situations that Jesus spoke it. You know, like if I even took this same sermon, I en encourage you, stay all three services. You will hear a different sermon every service. And when you get into life groups, it's always kind of fun, like, because one of the questions we ask, what stood out to you in the sermon? Somebody will say something, they'll be like, he didn't say that. Well, what service did you go to? And so Jesus is speaking this message, and he's telling the disciples now that they are proclaiming to us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. See, God is light. Jesus said that in John 8, 12, that Jesus is the light of the world. So hold here at 1 John and go to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John at the very beginning, chapter 1. 4, 1, there we go. He starts that whole, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip down to verse 4. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Flip a page, and right after John 3, 16, that we all love so much, always read 17 with it, but look at verse 19. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the encouragement is when we have fellowship with God, we're going to be walking in the light. And he's telling us, don't remain in darkness. And, and John, all through this epistle, will use these contrasting ideas, and one of them is darkness and light, that all of us, without Christ, we remain in darkness. But the invitation to have fellowship with God, to have fellowship with them, is to walk in the light. And so the idea is, might, okay, well, what's darkness then? Like, what's the analogy here? What are we talking about? And so I love this, according to the laws of physics, right, this is science for you, a little science class, darkness does not exist on its own. Darkness does not exist. You can't bottle up, a, you know, in a mason jar some darkness for me and put it under the Christmas tree. Darkness does not exist, according to the laws of physics. It's only the absence of light. Same thing with cold. Cold, according to the laws of physics, does not exist. 
And you're probably like, yeah, right, Nick. I remember a week ago, even though it's 70 today, a week ago, the weather tried to kill us all, right? Every pipe froze in our area, water frozen everywhere, like coal doesn't exist. Coal doesn't exist according to the laws of physics. It's only the absence of heat. And so evil, evil does not exist on its own. Evil only exists because it's the absence, it's the privation of something good, the absence of God. That's where evil exists in the same way. And so when he's telling us, do not walk in darkness, what you're doing, you're walking in the absence of goodness. You're walking in the absence of God. And, and when we do that, when we walk in, the, the, that term is talking about a pattern of our life. Not just the, you know, because we all, we all sin, we get that, we'll talk about that. We all sin, those things happen. But when our life is patterned in darkness, that's what he's saying. Don't walk in darkness. Don't pattern your life in darkness. He goes, I want you to walk in the light. And so we understand orthodoxy, meaning right thinking, but we also need orthopraxy. We need right living. That our Christian faith isn't just about what we believe and what we think and what we hold to be true. It's also about how we allow what we think to be right to be lived out. So we need right thinking, absolutely, but we need right living. And when we walk in the darkness, we're lying, is what John would say. He says, we lie. We're lying to ourselves. Do you ever look at somebody and you just want to say those words to them because of something that they're doing and what they believe? It's like, you're just lying to yourself right now. Like, you're so deceived, you do not want to come to the truth. Like, you're just lying to yourself. And so if we pattern our life, if the pattern of our life is absence of God, if we're walking in darkness, absent of God, but we think we have fellowship with God, we're lying to ourselves. Meaning we can't just live however we want Monday through Saturday and we come in here on Sunday, get a little holy roller, get a little blessed on us and we can walk back out right back into the same sin. Like Jesus did not die on a cross, have the old self die for us just to live the old way. No, he came to do something new in and through us and he wants to do something new in you and you are a new creation he didn't create you to be a new creation just go back to the old ways of living he goes if that is you you're lying to yourself that you're walking in darkness with that mentality so verse 7 he's telling us walk in the light john 12 46 says and this is jesus i have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness so to walk in the light is to walk in obedience to christ not just right thinking orthodoxy but right living orthopraxy your life matters if you're a teenager or if you're 108 and i'm not referencing anybody on that second part your life matters what you think, what you say, what you do, how you respond when people cut you off on the highway, what you do to the lady that messes up your drink at Starbucks, how you speak to your wife, how you speak to your husband. Your life matters. Why? Because that's our Christian faith. It's not just a, a doctrine that we hold to, it's something that we live out in our everyday life. One celebrity said, don't tell me what you believe. Just let me watch you for a couple weeks and I'll tell you what you believe. Imagine that. Like, don't tell me you believe in Jesus, but what would I see if I watched you for the last two weeks of your life? Like, creeper? I know, right? But what would I see? What would I hear? 
would I walk away after seeing your life for two weeks and be like, that person loves Jesus. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. But they love Jesus. That not just what they hold to and believe, but how they're living their life out. They love Jesus. And so walk in the light. Walk in obedience to Jesus. That's going to be hard. There's going to be certain things that you say, hey, you can't do that anymore as a Christian. You can't do that and walk in the light. Can't do that. And there's going to be some things that you maybe have never done before. You're like, yeah, you're going to have to start doing that. Like, really? I got, I got to do those things? I got to, like, go to church and fellowship with one another, and I got to pray, I got to read my book. No, no, no. You don't got to. You get to. It's not a have to. It's a get to. You get to have fellowship with God, this creator who loves you unconditionally. You get to have fellowship with him. And then and we get to walk together because Christianity, understand this, it is deeply personal, absolutely. Our faith is deeply personal, but it's never meant to be privatized. Because a lot of things, you know what we say, you can't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table. Like, our faith is deeply personal, but it's never meant to be private. And I think sometimes we try to hide it under being private. Why? Because it's not personal to us. And so, oh, no, no, that's, that, my faith, it's, it's, it's personal, it's, it's, it's a private thing. It's probably a non-existent thing. Jesus went to the cross publicly. Jesus rose from the grave publicly. Jesus ascended to heaven publicly. That's why baptism is a public profession of our faith, an external view of what's internally going on. And so we walk in light, we walk in obedience to Christ. And if we say we have no sin, this is John saying, hey, you got to watch out what you believe, because there's some of us, we'll walk around and be like, ah, I'm not that bad of a person, I don't have that much sin. No, we need right thinking, we need to understand we're sinners. We are sinners, we are broken, we are lost without the grace of Jesus. But understand the promise, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He is who he says he is. The question, but are we honest with ourselves? Do we recognize our greatest problem? I don't have a patience issue. I have a sin issue. I don't have a lust issue. I have a sin issue. I don't have a lying issue. I have a sin issue. A lot of times we try to church it up a little bit. We try to soften it and give it a, a better word so it doesn't, no, no, no. I'm a sinner broken in the need of grace, not just for my salvation. I need the grace of God just to get through the first day of the year. And I'm gonna need it tomorrow and the next day and the next day, but are we being honest with ourselves? See, John would say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. So there's times we're going to say something and we make ourselves a liar. We say we haven't sinned, then we make him a liar. Why? Because the Holy Spirit tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, past tense, and we fall short, present tense. So we've all sinned, so none of us are without sin, and we all continually fall short of the glory of God. That there is this struggle continually in me, in you, with sin. So what do we do about this sin issue? We confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We come to Jesus with our sins. But if we say we have not sinned, John tells us his word's not in us then. 
understanding the depravity of our heart and life is actually a reflection that we understand the word of God in us. That if we have the word in us, we will understand our spiritual depravity apart from Jesus. And not just, because John here says his word is not in us, not just his word, but him. He is not in us. Why? Because Jesus is the word of life. That we can't have the written word of God in our hearts if we do not have the living word of God. If we do not have the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in and through us. So we have to understand. And so just as John is testifying to us, proclaiming to us what he saw, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Look into your heart, look into your mind, look into your life and ask yourself, what do you see? Look at your heart, look at your mind, look at your life. Think back, okay, last month, all of December, which is a hard month, right? We got a lot of shoppers, we got a lot of people, we got family, right? How was Christmas? Pretty rough, wasn't it, right? What do you see? Are you living in sin thinking that you have fellowship with Jesus? That's a hard question. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We have to be, we have to be re- honest with ourselves. We have to get real with ourselves. That if we're trying to deceive ourselves and be like, oh no, I'm good enough. Are you living in sin thinking that you have fellowship with Jesus? We can't, we can't say we have fellowship with him and continue to walk in darkness. Wrong direction, he says. There's darkness. No, no, you got to walk with me. You got to walk in the light. Or what do we see when we look at ourselves? Are we living in self-righteousness, thinking that we are without sin? And it's so much easier to try to look at other people's sin, and we can really pinpoint it in others way more easier than we can pinpoint it in ourselves. Be like, well, I'm better than that person, so I'm good. And oh man, how quick we can do that, especially to the ones closest to us. So are we living in self-righteousness, thinking that we are without sin? And we understand what John is saying. We're making God a liar if we believe that. Proverbs 30, 12 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. And we don't even recognize our own sin. And if we can't recognize our own sin, how are we ever going to recognize the grace of God in our life? Because grace comes in our weakness. Grace comes in our sin. Grace comes into our brokenness. And so if we say we have no sin, no brokenness, we also have no grace. We have no mercy. We have no love of God. We actually just made God a liar. We've told God, hey, you got that grace and mercy stuff. I'm good without it because I'm good enough. Understand the message of Jesus. He came to save sinners so that we can walk in the light. And so I encourage you. Very self-reflective, a great way to start a new year. Look at your heart, look at your mind, look at your life this week. And where, where does God want to do a work in your life? What have you been holding back that you haven't allowed him to work in? And I encourage you, surrender that to Jesus. 
Walk in the light in that. Quit holding that part of your life in darkness. Shed some light into it. And let it be the light of his word. Let it be the light of prayer. Let it be the light of fellowship. If you're looking at your life and be like, I don't think there's anything wrong, ask your spouse. You want to get an honest answer, they'll give you a quick one. They've been waiting for this question, just keeping track. You just tell me, anytime you're ready, honey, I'm ready. Ask those closest to you, hey, what do you see in me? What am I missing? Am I so close to my life that I don't see this? And that what it means to have fellowship with one another? That we have each other's backs? That even if we see, if we see a, a brother or sister in Christ walking towards the darkness, isn't it, doesn't it behoove us to call them out in gentleness, in patience, and in love? Because wouldn't we want the same thing? That if I was straying away from what I'm called to do, wouldn't I want that? Somebody look at me and say, hey, Nick, stop. Don't do that. That's a hard conversation to have. But I think the hardest one is to have with yourself and understand your own spiritual need. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Understand the significance of the cross. We have that opportunity. We get to walk with Jesus in our life. So, Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. And we ask, if there is any darkness in us, I pray that you would drag us, pull us, but we know it's more through invitation. Invite us to walk in the light, to walk with you. I pray that you would give us a boldness and a courage that we would look inwardly at our own hearts, look at the ways that, that we can even deceive and lie to ourselves, thinking that we're better and greater than what we really are, how we judge our own motives unfairly. So, Lord, I pray that we as a church would have an honest conversation with you, that we would do business with you this morning, this week, and as we start this new year, continue to do this new work in us, making us this new creation, bring it, bringing it to fruition in our lives. We want the fullness of you, Lord. So shine your light upon us, we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen.